Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am so excited today to welcome Anne Murray Allen, one of the leading thinkers at Conversant to Greatness. Welcome, Anne. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, Anne, we've set some time aside today to speak about a specific uh, case study, a client situation that really illustrates the power of systems thinking. Can you provide us with a little bit of background about the situation? Sure. Boy, I think it was about five years ago, we were approached by um, a colleague we knew at the Nature Conservancy. And he said, I think I've got a project that you could help us with. Um, and we have a funder who's willing to fund this work, who but wants to see that the way we work together on this at TNC is different than we normally would. So, so we were really intrigued by that. And uh, we said, sure, we wanted to know more. And it, it turned out to be um, a project working on the quality of the water um, in the Mississippi River Basin, which connects to 31 states in the United States. And it's a huge, huge tributary system. And they wanted to see if they could all step up their state chapters, which are quite independent, getting them to partner together for an extraordinary outcome. So that was the initial challenge. And what was the impetus behind wanting to work differently? Because that is the most fun when, when as consultants, somebody's really willing to kind of think outside the box. What do you think was the driver behind wanting to work differently? Well, for this particular individual, he was familiar and had been on the board for the Nature Conservancy in the past. And he had observed that the state chapters being so independent that they were very interested in having their own donors in each state and following their own agenda and they were really struggling when it came to a, a whole system that was much bigger than one or two states. And they had been trying to work on this together in other ways for quite a while, uh, but just weren't having the impact. In other words, you know, whether it was the state of Illinois or Nebraska or Minnesota, they all had something about the Mississippi, but when they did the work separately, it never added up to the collective impact uh, that they really needed to have if they were going to improve uh, that whole system. Yeah. So somebody stepping up and saying, hey, it's, we're not achieving the results. And what was the pain they were feeling? I mean, what, what, what was happening to the Mississippi that was causing concern? Well, no matter how hard anyone was working on water quality, uh, the the point is it was getting worse and worse. And an independent coalition had actually run a report card system to measure the quality of the water. And, and they, they did it in a broad level too. They looked at it, not just from pollutants in the water, but also, you know, the quality of life living on the river, um, agriculture, commerce. And they said the ultimate grade they came up with for the basin as a whole was a D plus and probably mm. falling. The other thing was that the funder had spent a lot of time flying over the Gulf of, of Mexico right after the Deep uh, Horizon debacle. 
where that underwater pump was just pumping oil into into the Gulf. He could see the devastation, and he just felt like, we can do better. We have to not only work the Mississippi, but the Mississippi drains into the Gulf of Mexico. What are we doing to improve the quality of life and fresh water and seawater? Uh, what are we doing? We have to step up and make a bigger difference. So we, we've we had some outside analysis. Um, I love, well, I don't love that they had a D plus, but you know, somebody sometimes has to stick a stake in the ground and say, okay, things are not okay. And the way we're working in, in, in a fragmented way is not having the impact that we want. So what were some of the first steps to working differently? Well, the first step was we, we actually spent months just trying to get like the key players together uh, in one conversation to say what's possible. Um, we decided a conversant to take a 90-day project approach to say, what if we could frame this around one, because it's such a huge system, you know, what, where do we start and where can we start together? What can we be in together to kind of run an experiment here to see what we can shift, not just a conservation outcome, but to say, how can we change the way we work in the process? And for the funder, you know, uh, his terminology was we need binocular vision here. We need a focus on a conservation result. At the same time, we need um, a secondary, equally important, and what we found out later, even more important goal on how we work differently and how we learn together differently. So that became the two main focuses to get going was how do we set that as our context, our desired result? And now how do we find some piece of this we can work on together um, to, to see what's possible? So I'm assuming engaging these different stakeholders. Um, I've often thought it would be so fun to just have a magic wand that I could wave over people and that they went, you know, I'm in and I get what we're trying to do. Uh, I'm assuming that that maybe wasn't the situation in the very beginning with the multiple stakeholder groups. No, it, it was not. And actually the initial phase was all inside of the Nature Conservancy uh, it was the separate, though, and independent state chapters they had, and some of the different corporate groups inside of, of the, the ones that span the entire United States. Uh, the one, one in particular had to do with corporate engagement. It was a group out of their headquarters that said, we're going to always be the liaison when we try and partner with externals in the business sector. So we had some of that, but it was all internal to TNC, but very independent. And it was very hard to bring them all to the table. They were busy with other things. They were skeptical. They've tried this before. They didn't want another thing to do. You know, who was leading it? Uh, so it, it took a long time, actually months going into it, to frame it up and to get people willing to set aside the time to come together in 90 days and stay committed to see what was possible, what we could get done. Oh, and that's so critical. I mean, they do have, they have to have alignment around the vision of what they're trying to accomplish before they, you know, bring in external people. Mm -hmm. What were some of the techniques and, and you know, great list of the barriers? I don't have time. I don't understand this. I mean, we very frequently, we don't take the time to understand the political landscape mm -hmm. 
when we're trying to sell an idea. And um, I was just going back to Lewin's force field analysis the other day of, you know, kind of the simplistic forces against and forces for what, what, what were the techniques of bringing these uh, nature conservancy people and desperate uh, departments together? Well, we, we first, um, I don't know if the word's convinced, but we intrigued enough of the kind of champions for this project to say, let's give this a try because we haven't been successful uh, so far. And this, they were very inspired by the person who was putting forth the money. That person uh, really became kind of a figurehead, a, a mentor, and they—it's like they didn't want to let him down. And I should say, you know, it wasn't just—it wasn't just the one donor. It was his wife. They were in it together, and they—they they were generous, but they also said this is important. We we want it focused ultimately on the quality of water, the health in the Gulf of Mexico. But we realize a whole lot of things have to happen upstream. And so that may not be the place to start. Um, so that was inspirational. And then we, when we came together with them, of course, uh, Conversant is very good at convening groups for an outcome and to design conversations at Nest. And of course, we started with uh, capacity building, really teaching them the basics of, of what we know to be true about human interaction and getting them on the same page with that shared framework. Um, we ultimately introduced to um, information knowledge around systems thinking, complex systems, which requires that they think differently. It's not about linear planning. It's really about how do you affect learning? How do you go to work together when you can't see the whole system at once? So we spent a lot of time on that up front and then building community before we actually got to the work. That's great. How long, how long did that phase take? I mean, that's a, that's a lot of knowledge sharing. And, you know, when you think about, you know, human interactions, as you said, how are we having timely, high quality conversations, but then the capacity to think in a, in a systems manner, how long did that take? Well, it, it, uh, there's the introduction to it, which is always interesting. People head scratch, uh, getting everyone, the team, and I think it was we had for that group working on it somewhere between 30 and 40 people. They were of various levels and various parts of the organization. There was a healthy dose of skepticism, but we we had little practices we do. We'd say, okay, let's introduce you to this. Let's practice. Now let's talk about how this affects your work together in this particular area. You know, what do you anticipate will get in the way? How will you apply these skills and thinking? Um, but I have to say, some of it, once there was the initial aha, then the practicing while we work together is the hard part. And that's where we showed up as coaches. We joined the team. We didn't lead these teams. They had to lead them themselves. But we were always there in real time to coach the group or to help an individual off on the side just to say, hey, where are you stuck? Have you tried this? What do you remember about what you learned, et cetera, et cetera? And um, that proved to be very effective. And over time, I'd say this first 90-day phase was a complete and total revelation and a shift uh, for them. They went from what I call spontaneous or simultaneous monologues to 
being able to build on each other's ideas, look for ways to support where they could be collectively smarter than they were as individuals. That is such a powerful thing when it happens, you know, at times it's hard to describe, but you know, we talk about these systems of human connectedness that unleash brilliance. I love this phrase, simultaneous monologues, like we're, you know, we're all, we're all in our swim lanes and we're all pointed in a direction, but we don't know what each other knows and we're not collaborating for that inspirational thinking. And, and so wonderful that this donor, many times what I've seen with clients is that someone does need to stand up as a champion and that, you know, whether it's inspirational or, you know, sometimes I'm thinking of one client in particular that just kind of put his foot down and said, we're going to implement lean practices on all our construction projects and here's what it's going to look like and here's why it's going to help us. But, but creating the kind of that beacon and that, that energy around change, I think is really important. Well, and I, you know, this, this is a bit of a sidebar, but what we found is after we, we continued on with, with this team uh, focused on the Mississippi, actually for several phases to go deeper into the work before they kind of took off uh, without our help. But what we found in then working with other parts of that organization and other organizations is it's very powerful when there are funders who say, I want to place a bet because I think there's a bigger outcome here rather than in little incremental steps. And so what we found is those people are out there and they're willing to say, I'll put the money down on this to support you through a very difficult phase of learning until you can get to a point where, hey, this is working. We're actually seeing things differently. And that causes us to work together differently and to want to do more together versus separately. And so if I'm a listener out there and I I can think of my organization or my team as kind of having these simultaneous monologues and really not leveraging this, the power of the system. And we worked with these 30, you said 30 to 40 people for 90 days, you know, kind of what's a starting point? Like how, how do you even start to embark on this journey internally? And then we'll shift to talking about the external portion. Well, when you say internally, do you mean for the client internally or, or internally? I, yes, for the nature conservancy. Well, it started with, we attracted a couple of thought leaders, I would say, people who were leaders in their states who said, I believe in this. I don't know how we're going to get there, but we need to give it a try. And they stepped up and they were fully committed um, and they were vulnerable. Honestly, they told their own stories and that's what, you know, acted as like a strange attractor. It got other people interested in being part of it. And slowly but surely over time, it went beyond the 90 days into subsequent phases when people started to see the energy that was being built. The fact that there were results at the end of each 90-day cycle, they started to say, well, you know what? I'm more curious now. Maybe, I'll, maybe I will come. Um, I remember one state director uh, who said, I'm not sure why I'm here. Uh, but he somehow felt compelled to come and check it out. Well, he became a leader in the overall project over a long period of time and was the curator of the learning collecting, you know, group learning, feeding it back into an official report, presenting it to others. 
So, I mean, that's an example of how transformative it was for, for one player who, who wasn't sure he needed to be there or wanted to be there in the first place. Well, you know, it's interesting. We just did this conversation about wonder and I, the word curiosity popped into my mind. Like he had some type of curiosity and could had the capacity to wonder about a different way of doing things. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I have this boat analogy and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but this comes from gosh, almost 30 years ago, implementing a massive change in an organization and for a girl from Kansas, I, I come up with lots of boat analogies, but I think of the change as kind of the boats leaving the dock and there's people that jump in the boat. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, of course we want to be collaborative and I get systems thinking. And then there's people with a foot in the boat and a foot on the dock and there's people on the dock, maybe this person, you know, he's curious, he's peeking into the boat going, wow, is the boat really going to work? Is it going to the right place? And those winds, as you said, creating energy, and motivation as we pull more people into the boat. I've also found out that um, through time that many times there's people that are standing on a mountain a hundred miles away from the boat saying, I'm never ever getting in that boat. <laughs> um, as a young egotistical manager, I thought if I concentrated on them, I could make them get off that mountain. In many instances, I found that wasn't the case. They just needed to find a new boat to get in. Mm -hmm. Um, so how did you how did you all deal with the resistors the that weren't maybe getting in the boat or tactics to get more people in the boat of here's where we're going? Well, that's a great question. And one of the big learning, I think, for myself and others was let people keep their skepticism. This process is bigger than them. And if they're at least neutral, like, OK, I'm open, but I'm not convinced that's good enough good enough for the group, mm -hmm. good enough for me, because this is contagious. It does work. I mean, we've developed a process that really does build community and it, it gives people an opportunity to be heard and to see the power in their collective wisdom. And so if someone comes and says, I'm not sure why I'm here, I don't know if I'm coming back, that's okay. Because most of the time they stay. And in the few times they don't, it's just not the right timing for them. But I've seen people in subsequent phases who suddenly throw in and they go, okay, I want to onboard now. So there is this element of choice. I mean, we go back to community contribution and choice. Um, right. You know, we're building a community. We're, it's a big tent. We want everyone's contribution. People maybe are skeptical that they'll really get to, to use their contribution to, or if they have a contribution to make. But it, ultimately, they have to choose, yes, I want to be here, or yes, I want my contribution in this. And then there has to be this opening for it. You know, the project manager that we first worked with, um, well, who's still on this, she's a very powerful woman. Her name's Rebecca. And at first, I, this is almost funny. She said, wow, there are all these people that want to get on the team, you know, and I keep telling them, I think we've got enough. We've got enough people. Uh, and I mm -hmm. said, Rebecca, if they're pounding on the door, let them in. Well, right. We can handle bigness here. We're not worried if we grow and it seems unwieldy. It's not. There's things we can do. There's conversations we can design with the group. Um, let them make the contribution they, they see they can make. And so, um, you know, she and I laugh about this now. 
it's something she says, you know, if they're pounding on the door, let them in. So, um, because so often you, it's hard to attract people through that door. And how broadly did the system go? Let's talk about kind of the, the system and how it was created, how we got people to think about the system and what the system kind of looked like. Well, the system, and this happened a little bit in the first phase, but it was more kind of, uh, we were just testing if we could do a system of part of, part of the upper Mississippi. We, we used a systems map. We interviewed a lot of internal experts on it, and we focused it on agriculture. Again, we were just trying to get something we could wrap our arms around. That was a learning experience in the first one, but it was really, they were really ready for that in the second phase, and they were ready to look at the entire system, the entire Mississippi River Basin. You know, we we have colleagues with particular expertise and how to um, create a system map through a series of interviews. It's, a, it's definitely a conversational process. It involves several iterations. But the importance of doing it is we all see a different system. We think we see the same thing, but we don't. And until we can together map it, argue about it, touch it, poke at it, you know, redo it, When we finally say, yes, this is the entire system we're trying to impact, and it's very complex, 31-state tributary system, very complex. When we can all look at it and say, yes, that's our view of the system, now we can move to collective action. Now we can say, all right, let's talk about where our highest leverage for action is. Yeah, that's so powerful. So what were some of the results achieved? Well, that's interesting because... And this is what's different about working in a complex system and the process that we've birthed through all this. We really believe it starts with a goal, a big, hairy goal. I call it a moonshot. What's your moonshot? That What is the system saying it must have in order to be healthy? And so there was a long conversation about that, multiple meetings, multiple iterations, but ultimately they landed on something that said by 2025, we will have reduced the hypoxic zone in the Gulf of Mexico by, I believe it was 20%. And they had to overcome that feeling of, we can't promise that, or there's other variables besides our work, you know, all the reasons why we don't think big. And finally, they said, you know, this is already out there. It's a shared goal that includes the EPA as well. Let's just adopt it and commit to it. And then what we'll do is our first step, based on where we find points of leverage in our mapping process, that will tell us where to begin. And we start with, we call them probes, but they're small, small experiments, little projects we go after that are consistent with what we saw on our map. And we'll do cycles of adjust, a line act adjust, what happened, did it work? If it worked, let maybe we double down. If it didn't work, maybe we drop back and try something else. So you learn your way into the results. And I can tell you they haven't affected that big hairy goal yet, but on the path to that, they have um, caused all sorts of incredible and surprising results uh, in the agricultural community, 
working across state lines, partnering to get work done in one state because the resources didn't exist, so they sent them from another state. But they couldn't have predicted those. And as Peter Senge has said, which I thought was really true, that, you know, the moonshot's about a lot more than the moon. And that's really true. It's all those places along the way that had you not made the commitment to the big one, you would have never discovered the value you could add. So what are the lessons for today? Um, what can, you know, I'm a leader out there thinking about thinking about my organization. I'm thinking about our stakeholder network, our community, our society. What lessons should I take from this situation? Well, one lesson is this particular story is about committing to one of the most important goals, regardless of the business result you want, or in this case, the conservation result that you want. There should always be a learning result that you're also targeting. Um, And whether it's about how we work together or what new things we learn that inform our collective wisdom to, to launch any major initiative without having that be one of your major goals, you're really missing a huge opportunity. So that's one thing. The other thing is to just realize you can't advocate your way into everyone seeing the system the exact way you do. And that's where they were stuck before. Uh, you know, loud voices saying, no, no, it's this. No, no, it's that. Kept people from really being all in together. So... How do you create, whether it's through system mapping or other dialogic processes, how do you get all the different places in the system where people sit, that they see what somebody else doesn't see? How do you bring it together so you reach that shared view? And when you have the shared view, now that's when the magic happens. That's when you can really move quickly together to make a difference. I'm thinking of the years and years that I've spent working with construction projects some of them very large, you know, multi-billion dollar programs and um, bringing a systems lens to this is, um, you know, we've we've not ever done it formally, but I'm just, I have a million ideas going through my head about um, the applicability of this to um, constructions. One last tip, and before we go for our listeners, one last thing, if you're thinking about embarking on this journey, if you're thinking about embarking embarking on this journey, realize that bringing people together and learning how to interact and connect on, a, on an authentic level, that is the work. That's not a sideline nice to have. That is the work. And if you focus there first and really build that sense of we're in it together and we've learned how to connect on a very deep listening level, everything else goes faster. That is what I love about our work, the human connectedness, the node to node of the system and the authenticity of that. And thank you so much for taking time today to share this experience. I'm certain that our listeners will gain a great deal from your wisdom. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you. 